Welcome down to my nine-foot homemade oak bar. Pour yourself a cold one. You are listening to Bucks in the Basement. My name's Chris, and Craig here is the biggest Pirates fan you'll ever meet. Let's talk Pirates baseball now. Welcome to Bucks in the Basement. Now I see the changes in this town. They change, they say one thing, but then the next day. in the basement my name's chris his name's craig welcome in how you doing buddy i'm not doing too bad man you know i obiato throws a complete game last night uh we beat the lowly royals who we should be beating but uh you know what one more month of the season to go here and uh i mean like i said man, i'm gonna watch every game but uh i don't know there's a lot of other stuff that's that's going on you know obviously down on the ticker here that we can get to, but I don't know. Feeling pretty good today. All right. Well, that's awesome. I'm, I'm glad you're feeling good. I want to talk about this whole thing going on with Brian Hayes first. I do like, that's the thing. Like I, I, he's got, he's got his old hitting coach break this down for everybody. Yeah. So basically I, I just read as, as we were suiting up here that, you know, Jason Mackey had an article out that John Nunnally, who is the hitting coach for double uh, a, um, had been the hitting coach in Altoona at the alternate site that Cabrian Hayes kind of, you know, said or gave him credit for, you know, why he came into that, I guess, one month of the season where everybody thought he was Ted Williams' house of fire. He kind of gave not only the, the credit for, you know, the adjustments and different stuff were made. And, and now it's coming out that basically several times over the past month or so, uh, John Nunnally, he would drive to Pittsburgh when the curve was off and would, would be working with Hayes. And Cabrian Hayes has been, even with the little stint on the IL in July where he was he had the little back issue and everything, starting in June and especially in August, I mean, he's definitely been a, a, a different hitter. And, I mean, this just goes to, you know, Andy Haynes not being a very good hitting coach. Us speaking about, you know, previously that, you know, John Nunnally's always been the hitting guru. Would you go outside the organization? I don't know. Like, John Nunnally seems to be somebody who, you know, players in this organization turn to, and especially Cabrian Hayes, who's one of your more important players at, at this point in the rebuild. And he's made him what we've always said we wanted, you know, Cabrian Hayes to be, which was he's up to at this point in time. He is a league average hitter. He's three war um, in in baseball reference, a little bit lower in uh, fan graphs. I believe some of that is probably due to the WRC plus, but I mean, Cabrian Hayes, he's living up to that value. And if he could just be a league average hitter and maybe John Nunnally 
has found something with him. Obviously, you know, the league is going to punch back here at some point in time, but I mean, maybe not only knows how to help him adjust, which is really the kind of the job of a hitting coach, a hitting coach. How, how much it. do you think a hitting coach makes? How much, how much, how much money do you think they make? It's not a million. There's no such thing as a million dollar hitting coach, right? Probably no, not I, even a half million dollar hitting coach. We're probably talking about somebody who's probably making buck 50, right? Like $150,000. 150 to, to, to maybe three, 350 was like the right. most I was thinking to maybe somebody who's an experienced hitting coach. Okay. Okay. So, so think about the amount of money that's spent in major league baseball and then ask yourself why you only have one because it makes no sense. It doesn't. Some hitting coaches, their philosophy is, is uh, I just need to almost be a psychiatrist to the player, work him through the problems he's having, talk to him, help, help him find the answer himself. Some guys are technical. Some guys will sit there and say, okay, I'm going to, uh, th- these are techniques we can use. If you're having a problem, we're going to change your footing. We're going to change, like some guys are very technical hitting coaches. Some hitting coaches have a background Either they played or they just have a style where it's slap hitting or line drive hitting or situational hitting. And some of them are sluggers. How many, how many big time sluggers who made their money on home runs have been hitting coaches? I, I, the first one that pops in my mind, I think Mark McGuire right out of uh, when he was done, you know, they, they still hired him as a hitting coach. Well, how is he going to tell a slap hitter how to hit with, with the approach that he had? Why not have guys that do multiple things? Why not have multiple guys that do different things? Why not have a staff for your hitters? Because to me, it seems like a low amount of money and investment to have several of them on the staff. Call them whatever you want to. Call them whatever you want to. You, you, you come up with titles. It's so funny that like baseball never gets innovative enough to understand that the old way of doing things probably doesn't work now. Look at the amount of coaches that are on the field in a football game. Think about that. You got your, your offensive coordinator has a wide receivers coach, a running backs coach, a quarterbacks coach, a line coach, all these other coaches that he's got working with him that are underneath him that are individually working with people, right? And then they have guys that, they, that, that work underneath those coaches that assist in drills, and, and there are guys that are doing analytics, and there are guys doing films, and there's guys walking around doing all that stuff on that, on that sideline. But with baseball, well, we, only, we got one at first, one at third. Uh, one of those guys is going to take infield practice. The other guy is going to throw batting practice. We got a hitting coach. We got a pitching coach. We got a bench coach. He sits there and talks to the, uh, the, the manager when the manager's bored, and they bounce each other ideas off of each other, and then there's probably like a catcher out there who's a bullpen coach who warms up guys and does that. That's all they have. You got 26 guys on the team. Your, your coaches to player ratio is not the same as like an NFL team. Look at the amount of guys lined up on a hockey bench for crying out loud. Right? So I always, I always find it funny when we're talking about hitting coaches. Like you could have several. It would be a smart thing to do. It would be an economic thing to do. What's more economic? Spending another $350,000 on hitting coaches or $400,000 to get two of them that are a different level or whatever, whatever you spend them on, right? Go out and get a couple guys or spend $15 million on a guy or $20 million or $50 million over several years, but not get the production out of him because you wouldn't bring in somebody that works well with him, right? Like that's the craziness. If this guy is able to help your defensive minded third baseman, okay? and get him into a position where he becomes more valuable to your team and it creates wins 
because he's able to do better with his bat and it improves your lineup. Why wouldn't he be there all the time? Why does he have to wait for the off days for the curve to come up and work on his own with him? Right? If you're running a business right now and you're a business owner or you're somebody in high management, you're sitting there right now doing the same thing I'm saying. That is the stupidest way you can run an organization, baseball or any other way. And that's the thing to me. Get him up here. That's it. What do we need him down there for? Get him up here all the time. Find another guy to do the thing down in the minor leagues. So, like, I just, I'm always taken aback, I think, a little bit by some of the, like, less forward-thinking things that you can do. You should have as many scouts as possible. You should have as many coaches as possible. You know, those things are a lot cheaper than the $200 million player. And the Pirates don't have the budget to get $200 million players, so they should be investing in those little things instead. Because I, I guarantee you that's how the Rays do things. Yeah, because if you care, I mean, if he's helping Cabrian, it'd be like, okay, well, you know, Jack's having problems with this. Like, have have we had him talk to Jack Sawinski? Have, you know, these guys that maybe he's just guys that can, you know, kind of, you know, tweak a little bit of stuff, but also maybe build a little bit of confidence within these guys. You know, they've come up through the system with him. I mean, he's been at, you know, John Nunnally's been at almost every level, so he probably knows these guys pretty well. So it, it would make sense. I mean, I, I'm pretty sure that maybe Andy Haynes is still on his way out because uh, Ben Charrington, when he gave, you know, his vote of confidence to Shelton, did not give the same vote of confidence to, you know, Oscar uh, Marine or, or or Andy Haynes. But, you know, it would it would make sense that it's like, OK, you know, not every single one of these guys is exactly the same. And I know that, I mean, people, I don't want to go down the complete rabbit hole of, you know, bagging on the Pirates because, you know, Ben Sherrington came in and said he wanted to be player centric. But I mean, in some ways, if your stars who you've invested money in, I mean, Brian Reynolds was struggling for a portion of the year. Brian Hayes struggling, you know, pretty bad at the beginning of the year after a lot of stuff had come out about all the work he had put in in the offseason and it really didn't translate over into the beginning of the season. I mean, if you have guys that can actually help them, that would kind of make a lot of sense. And I mean, he's helped Leo Pagero, who was down in Altoona. Jack Sawinski was down in Altoona last year. So it's a guy that's very familiar to these people. So I don't know, man, it's just a very weird thing. And it just doesn't like, it doesn't look good on a team where it's like, okay, we have to be good at everything in development because like you said, we're not going to spend a ton of money. And we're saying that we're changing, like, you know, adding all these developmental coaches at each level and, you know, adding all the, the, but I'm the okay with that. and stuff. Yeah. But, but, but I'm at, okay but with at, that because do I, more. It, yeah. Well, you have to do more. That's the thing. You have to be better at that. Like a, a perfect example. Like we're talking about adding more guys that are going to help out the hitters. Yeah. There's more than one person helping the pitchers. They have several coaches that help the pitchers. The perfect example is the fact that I'm not going to give out the organization because I, I don't know what the rules are of the organization, but I have, a, I have a cousin that is dating a guy who is the bullpen catcher for a Major League Baseball team. And I said, what is, how does that work? And she goes, oh, well, he, what he does is that he, he, you know, he works out the pitchers, he does this, and he works with them on this and works on that. I'm like, does that mean he's a coach? She goes, yeah, he puts on the gear, but he understands everything from the arm slot to how, like, but she also works in baseball, okay? So she's somebody who works in the industry as well. So she under, she completely understands all the terminology, and she's sitting there explaining this to me, and I'm like, 
So there's more than one pitching coach. It's like, oh, there's all kinds of them. Like the guy, the guy who's working them out is a pitching coach. Yeah. You know? And so like, I mean, like, that's the thing. I think sometimes we just have this picture in our head. Like there's one guy, right? There's like the one old pitching coach. He stands there. And he's like, how's the arm doing today? Oh, yeah. You do. You feeling good? Feeling good? Feeling good? Smacks him right on the butt. Feeling good? All right. Feeling good. Got the stuff. Got the stuff. Walks over to the catcher. He goes, does he got the stuff? He ain't got the stuff. Ah, I don't have the stuff. Make sure you have so-and-so <laughs> ready by the fourth inning. Right? Like that's what we imagine a pitching coach to be. Yeah. Okay. And, and I kind of imagine a hitting coach to just be a dude that's sitting in there and after the guy does something wrong, like, ah, maybe move your foot a little bit inside. Right? Like, like might show him some film or something like that. Probably tell stories about how he used to hit bombs. Right? Probably has a lot of conversations with them to get in their head. But the thing is, you can have multiple guys doing multiple things. And I think smart organizations have that. There are organizations that have multiple people that do hitting. They have assistant hitting coaches and they have all the, Like, it's okay to have more coaching. It's okay to have more development. If, you know, if this person is helping, bring them on. Look, they're, oh gosh, it just it popped into my head. Lucas Giolito's out in, in uh, where's he at? He didn't go to LA. He went somewhere. He got traded, right? Yeah. All right. Okay. Ethan Katz was a pitching coach with the Giants. Ethan Katz was also the high school pitching coach of Lucas Giolito. When Giolito was at the, in the, with the White Sox, he was pitching terribly, and their own pitching coach couldn't figure it out. So Giolito goes back to his old high school coach, who's now working with the Giants, and he gives him like a big, heavy like ball that like feels like a baseball, but it's weighted. And he has him throw every day with that to change a mistake he's doing with his arm slot and how he's delivering the ball. So he's not throwing his hand way above his head because it's too heavy for him to do that comes back and has a massive season in his career launches because he looked like a bust. And then the White Sox hire Ethan Katz as their pitching coach because they sat there and said, whoa, hold on a second. This guy was worth more than anybody because he just gave us a guy at the top of our rotation. So we're going to go get him. Let's see what he can do for everybody else. Now, they probably could also have other guys that do other things on their pitch. I don't know what their, I don't know what their, their pitch coach thing is, but that popped into my brain right there. That's a pitcher I remember went and got help outside, and the organization went and got the guy and brought him in. They're like, well, yeah. if this guy actually fixes one of our big-name players that we've got under control, because at the time he was under control for years, okay, and now he's probably going to get paid this offseason, except I, I hear he's down since he got traded, but he was one of those guys who was doing really well. That The trade deadline was a hot name, but all of that came from somebody else who worked with him on the side, and then the team understanding that guy, that coach is worth it because he's going to have a direct impact. And that's what it sounds like with Hayes. Sounds like here we got a guy who has a direct impact. And if he shows that direct impact, get him around Hayes and everybody else a little bit more. ever see me out and about in Pittsburgh, you will always recognize me. And not just because of the white beard, but also because the why that is always on top of my head, the hat I always wear. The Yin's brand, proud partners with Bucks in the Basement, Three Dynasties, 
One brand, Yins. Finally, one brand to rep all black and gold. Follow at Shop Yins for new merch drops and giveaways. Order online at www.shopyins. The emphasis on the two Zs. High quality comfort. Lightweight materials. A new modern look for the black and gold. Made for Yins by a Yinzer. Kind of seems like every single time that Hayes has worked with him or is talking to him or doing whatever that he makes the corrections that he needs to make and becomes the complete player that, I mean, like I said, I don't know if Cabrian Hayes, I mean, I, I we, he's definitely not Ted Williams. He's probably not the, you know, nine 36 OPS that he has in August, but maybe he's more of that, you know, 750 OPS to 800 OPS. And that's realistically with his defense and obviously with health, because, you know, unfortunately, since that miraculous season, Cabrian Hayes hasn't had a full season of health. But I mean, that plays into it as well. But a guy that can be off for a month and is still like a three war player because he can have this turnaround. I mean, that's valuable to a team. Really valuable to a team. Yeah. Yeah. It's really valuable. You don't you, you can't miss the boat on things like that. You know? You can't. You see coaches go away sometimes and it changes the entire dynamic of several of your star players. Like they're valuable. And they they and 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 why would you spend millions upon millions upon millions of dollars on players and 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 if you don't have the guys that can get the most out of them? So I'm all for it. I mean, I he should be around and 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 you should you should always be interested in is there another coach that can come in that's good at something that this coach is you don't need to fire every coach right like that's what we always do well this guy's good at this and this guy can't do it so go get that guy and fire the other one i'm saying you could have multiple doing multiple different things and benefit your team and it wouldn't cost that much in the grand scheme of things like to us it seems like it costs a lot because of what we all make right these people make so much more money these teams are worth billions upon billions of dollars Right. So, I mean, in reality, it's like, hey, do you want to hire another $30,000 a year employee? Like, if I said that to you, you'd be (laughs) be like, like, yeah, we should have several extra $30,000 a year employees. Because that's really what it is when you look at the economics of the whole thing to them. To these billionaires, it's like, you know, if we hire these two more guys at $30,000 a year, it's going to make our company go right through the roof. Yes. Yeah. Hell, I'll even give them extra vacation time. That's cheap. (laughs) Right. (laughs) <laughs> Absolutely, man. You can't you can't argue with that kind of stuff. I mean, and and thinking that I mean, it's always that if you get this this one coach in or this one person in, that it will fix like the entire organization. Do you know what I mean? Like everybody's no, like, no, that never happens. Never happens. And, and and again, you know, you look at Giancarlo Stanton. There's another name that just popped into my brain. Giancarlo Stanton when he was down with the Marlins had a wide-open batting stance, and wasn't able to cover the outside of the plate. His coach at the time moved his foot inside, changed his swing slightly, and he went out and hit like 50-some bombs. Now, all of a sudden, the Yankees wanted him. That launched him into like superstardom for a couple years. Just that adjustment, right? But then the teams were chasing that coach because like, well, he fixed Giancarlo Stantlin, so like he's going to fix all our players. But no, that didn't happen. That coach has already been fired from another job. Because every player is different. He was good at certain things, but he probably needed another two, another couple $30,000 employees sitting around him, okay, relatively, or whatever these guys actually get paid, where it's really not that much to these baseball teams. He needed a couple more of them, so they were all working with certain things, and they probably would have all gotten better results. 
golf. That's what I would do. Now he can't have two managers. So the real question <laughs> becomes, what do you think about Derek Shelton right now? Like what, 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 where, where are you with him at this point? And is he like a guy, like remember the Cubs and the White Sox in Chicago, both, both use Ricky Renteria as their, as their rebuild guy. And then they both went out and hired big name managers. One, it worked for one team. It didn't work for the other team. But you see this a lot across baseball. But I always thought it was funny. He was on both sides of towns, town out there, right? And he was used in the exact same way. And then the moment the team started to get good and the window was opening, they're like, we don't want you. You're not, you're a rebuild manager. You're not a regular manager. So what do you think about Derek Shelton? Should he get a shot at this? Chris, I mean, I feel like this is a conversation that, that we've had uh, probably about a million times, even since, you know, when before he was hired and said, you know, whoever comes in and whoever's hired. And then once it was Derek Shelton, it was like, we don't know if he's the right guy for the job. He could be the setup guy like you just talked about. Or, you know what? He may be the guy that leads. He this could through. be Buck Showalter instead of Joe Torrey in the 90s. That's what that was. Yeah. I mean, he could be that. I, I think that. I mean, obviously it doesn't matter what the heck we think because, you know, Ben Sherrington has given him the vote of confidence that basically says, you know, he's our guy for next year. My thing is, is that there is like so much analytics and so much general manager driven stuff. Like, I feel like I've been watching, like, I think I've watched Moneyball three times in the background while I'm working my, my full-time job in the past couple weeks that I'm just like, you know, maybe, you know, maybe Ben Charrington's Billy Bean and, and you don't need the art. How who's going to like, you know, take the stuff away. Everybody seems to like Derek Shelton. And I know that it's like, you know what, like, could he be the manager that gets you to the promised land? It's still in my mind, hard to judge exactly what Derek Shelton has done just because every single year at the trade deadline, he gets like, the rug pulled out from under him and has to like kind of piecemeal things together for the remainder of the season. But like I said before, I think, I don't know if it was a couple episodes ago or a few episodes ago. I, I just remember thinking that Derek Shelton has not lost this clubhouse. And I feel like that's the more important thing that he hasn't lost like the faith of his team in that, like last night, Johan Oviedo throws that complete game that I mentioned you know, Andy Rodriguez, who basically went to Shelton and kind of like, I guess, lobbied. For, he's like, you know, I think he's still got it. I don't think it'll like he's at like 90 some pitches. It won't take him that long. He went up to 112 pitches. But basically, Oviedo shakes, you know, Shelton's hand and like kind of I, I feel like he has like it's not going to be, I don't think, detrimental. Is he going to, you know, makes silly decisions here based on like, I know people are saying like, we had this guy bunt and like, why are we still bunting or he made a wrong decision. You know I, I hate that. I hate that argument, by the way, I'm sorry yeah. to cut you off, but you know what? Bunting exists and it's, it's not always wrong. It's not always wrong because you listened to the, to, to Brad Pitt say it in the Billy Bean movie. Okay. <laughs> because there's a, because there's a gif about it or there's a clip about it or there's a reel about it. doesn't make it always right. Okay. Sometimes bunting works. It really does. Sometimes if you have a person who's able to lay down a bunt in a situation where he sees the third baseman back on his heels, it's a good idea to bunt. Sometimes teams walk off on squeeze bunts, right? Sometimes yeah. it's like all that guy needs to do. There's, there's, only, there's only one out in the inning. And so everybody just needs to advance, even if they get the guy at first. 
And if you know you got a guy up at the plate who's a capable bunter, you can have the guy break the home. They're never going to make the play as long as he can get his bat on the ball. You can't get rid of the art of bunting. You don't get rid of things that are available. I understand it's sometimes not a good situation to do it. Don't take the bat out of like a certain player's hand. Sometimes it's not a good thing to take to give up outs. I understand all of that stuff, but you can't take you can't take baseball out of baseball. And and you you hear now in organizations like the Yankees, like that's the number one thing they're talking about right now, is that they got too in analytics. They got so in analytics. They, they screwed up their evaluation of players in their minor leagues. They screwed up whether or not the person was just capable of getting in there and having the confidence in themselves that they could do the little things because all they were was a name with a bunch of numbers next to them. You know, Moneyball was never meant to be that way. And, and, and you know what? It's really doing a disservice to Bill James, who's the person that came up with that whole thing. It wasn't Billy Bean came up with it, right? <laughs> Billy Bean yeah. started re- reading Bill James' books, Okay. And started talking to people that were in offices that were reading Bill James books. I used to sit around and read Bill James books in my in the bathroom that was in the basement of my house. My dad used to get them every year. They'd have all the stats, and they'd be breaking down all these advanced stats, and I'd be sitting on the toilet reading them all. They were probably Bill James books were in bathrooms for decades before Billy Bean figured out how to use them. Okay, but but the thing is, like, you can't just do that. It's a great way. I think, I think the sabermetric thing is a great way to try to make a steal in a trade. I think the sabermetric thing is a great way in a situation when you're trying to increase your odds, you can go for it. I think it's a great way to build a philosophy, but you know what you need? You need a manager that understands the philosophy. And he's with it when it makes sense, but you trust him when he needs to make a baseball move. I think that's the most successful thing teams can be. You know, At some point, Shelton's going to do something on gut. And and some and sometimes gut's right. You know, you have to understand, is that guy well rested? Did does he look like a deer in the headlights right now? Yeah, sure, sabermetrics say that's the guy that you bring in to face this batter. But this is a big situation, and he don't look like he's doing so well today. So I know it says bring this guy in, but don't bring him in. You know, I I don't need a manager that's just gonna sit there and say, well, you know, stat sheet says do this. So get in there, get in there, Joe. And, and, and Joe's hung over <laughs> and his wife left him yesterday. Right. So, yeah. I mean, like, like you have to, you have to have a manager and a manager has to be able to make decisions. I, I think that's the thing with me. If Shelton fits what Charrington's doing, if he's going to play the team, the way the team is being constructed and he buys into the system. And then Charrington believes that when he needs to make a baseball decision, that he'll do it. And, and, and he'll trust him, even if it doesn't work out, that he's the right manager. But th- th- there has to be a symbiotic relationship between the front office and the manager. Because I don't like it when I hear the front offices are setting lineups. Because that means the manager walks in, and even if he thinks that this guy doesn't have it that day, he's overruled. What you want to find is a manager that's like, yeah, I believe in this. I'm with you on this. We're going to do this. But you got to let me make out the card. You got to like, let me make the decision. And they got to trust him. Okay? So, I mean, that's the thing. It's hard to find that trust and build that trust. I think Shelton sticks around if they have that trust in him. Because the next guy could come in and say whatever he wants to in the interview, but then if they find out that they're button heads in May, it's a lost season. And, and, and so it, I don't think you give that up if they have that. If they don't have that, then you might see him hit the road. 
Yeah, and it kind of seems like they have a good working relationship. I don't, like I said, man, it's it's hard to tell sometimes in this day and age, like how good a manager is at times at managing, just because you don't know where the line between the front office and the manager, like the field manager, it, it separates. Or if, you know, because people are like, well, Shelton makes, why wouldn't he just stick with a, the same lineup card? And I know somebody was out there. I, I, I listened to a podcast or I read an article or, or something because that's, you know, pretty much what I do all the time. And it basically said that, you know, nobody, you know, makes the same lineups anymore. It just, it just doesn't exist anymore. And I think Chris, you even brought up one time, it's like the, the difference between like what a manager can do with a lineup is a difference between like one and two wins in a season. Like, it's not like you could make, you know, that well, much. Well, what I said was that there were certain managers. I think we came up, there was a list of, six or seven over the course of a hundred years who had a major impact in their decision-making. Okay. Yeah. But everybody else was negligible because, because for every good decision they made, they made a bad decision that lost them a game. And when they went through, there was a big study. I can't remember who it was like, it was like Harvard or Yale or something. I remember that study. I remember that as you bring it up, we talked about that on the show a, a couple of years ago, but you're right. Like, that's the thing. Like it's not managers generally don't have a major influence now they could screw something up real bad i mean they could have a terrible philosophy you know i'm starting to hear managers in major league baseball say things like well there's no difference between the one hitter and the nine hitter in your lineup except for the fact that the one hitter gets 150 more at bats a year so you would put a better hitter there and you wouldn't put your good hitter <laughs> in the nine spot because nobody even does that in little league but you're starting to hear like some really stupid philosophies because guys are getting so into the sabermetrics and you're like no but there is there is a difference there is a reason why you make a lineup a certain way. Those are the things that drive me nuts when people like find some weird justification for something that makes absolutely no sense, you know? And, and so those are the only things that I think, I think a manager can screw things up more than he can actually help in his X's and O's. Yeah. And with, with Shelton right now, I mean, of course he goes to, you know, a bull, he leaves a guy in last night and it's a great decision but I mean, there's a chance in an alternate universe or just in an alternate whatever that that Oviedo, like, you know, maybe threw too much and throws out his arm or gets shelled because, you know, he's he's tired. Right, and then he's getting second guessed. Then he's getting second guessed. So, like, right? I, I don't see how a manager can be, you know, it's just like, well, he brought in this wrong, wrong reliever. Well, we don't know what happens if he brings in the other reliever. So it's hard to judge. Like, at some point in time, you know, the player has to perform. So like, do, do I think Derek Shelton's a great manager? I I don't know. Maybe not. Do I think he's a bad manager? I'd kind of go along the same lines. I mean, until well, here, this- think about that. Think about that reliever thing. Just think about that real quick. I, I hate cutting you off, but I, I mean, I'm, I'm thinking about this. Like, like it's a different way of managing right now. You're not going to the playoffs, but you're trying to find out what you have. If you're in a pennant race, and you've got a guy that sucked the last four times he's been out there, and it's a big situation, well, of course you don't bring him in. If you do, he's a moron. He's a bad manager if he does that, right? But if you're still trying to figure out if this guy's part of your plans, and you want to you wanna instill confidence in him, and you bring him in, if it works, it helps you in the long term next year. And if it fails, did it really change the fact that you were not going to the playoffs anyway? So sometimes, I don't know if you can judge his decisions, if his decisions are going to help the team determine things in the long run about what a player is capable of in a certain situation, what they're not, right? 
Yeah, and it's the same with, I mean, even just with, like, the basic lineups, it's like, well, Alika Williams is good at shortstop, but he's not that great of a hitter. Leo Pereira is not a great at shortstop, but he's probably better of a hitter. You know, we have everybody saying, you know, Triolo or Nick Gonzalez could get called up, but we got Vinny Capra sitting there, and he's, like, inserting him into the lineup sporadically. It's not in the same vein as last year when, you know, we have – him probably overplaying Josh Van Meter, but who knows if that came from, you know, above. So that's where, like, I'm having a hard time judging Shelton as a manager. But the one thing I will say is, do I think that Shelton is, like, an awful manager? No, I I, I definitely don't. I think that if a team is this far gone, you wouldn't see, you know, Brian Reynolds have, you know, the turnaround that he's had. Brian Hayes still caring enough to you know, come out there and, and want to, cause I mean, he's already got his money. Like he's already got his contract. So it, it, no matter how he performs, he's getting his money, but in some way, you know, you're trying to, you know, do what you can. So he hasn't lost it in that way. And, you know, the, like I said, you see Oviedo do that. So to me, like, I don't see what moving on from Derek Shelton, I could see the negative of it. I could see the clubhouse being like, man, like, like, why is Derek gone? Like, we really liked him and we, we felt like we were building a culture within this clubhouse and that type of stuff, as opposed to like leaving him in there. Is he making the right decisions all the time? Well, no manager is going to make the right decisions all the time. Sometimes you have to have the right players. Sometimes you, it's luck. So, I mean, that's baseball. I mean, if you're talking about something being baseball, a Hall of Famer, you know, is a Hall of Famer if he, if he, is correct, you know, or hits 30% of the time, you know, but we want our manager to be correct a thousand, you know, we've got to be batting a thousand. Well, that's just not going to happen. He just has to be, you know, correct more often than possibly he's wrong. And I think in Derek Shelton's case, I think we're seeing sometimes that he goes with his gut and goes with the player and feels the player. I mean, yeah, people will say he threw out, you know, David Bednar's arm last year, but he went with the player and he got a big save against the Dodgers because he wanted to win. Now, guess what? If he's in a pennant race and he has to make that same decision, maybe he's going to go with the player and it's going to work out. And you're going to say, well, that was a good call by the manager. Well, he's practicing that right now. He's learning in the same way that the team is kind of learning to win right now. Generally, a new manager comes in and it takes him months, if not an entire season, to figure out exactly what his players are capable of. All right. And so, like, if you did want to make the move, you'd make it right away for next year because you, would, you wouldn't want to do it when it was like, hey, guess what? The Pirates just made the playoffs, but we feel like Shelton isn't good enough, so now we're going to bring in somebody else. You may, you may actually set the team back. So, But I, I, I'm with you on it. I don't... It's hard for me to say that he's bad at what he does. And again, it goes back to, does he work really well with his general manager? Is he part of the philosophy? Do the players respect him? You know, sometimes we take all that stuff for granted. And, and you know, it, it's not his fault that some of these guys are still not where they need to be. And it's not his fault that he doesn't have five good starting pitchers yet. And, and you know, there, there are still things that need to be done in the offseason by Ben Charrington. And Bob Nutting's going to have to open up his checkbook a little bit. Not, not, not expected crazy, but it's time to start making sure that you give him all the tools. Because in, uh, unless you do that, I don't know how you evaluate him. I really don't. So, no. We should hit the music. Do, we should hit the music there, big guy. We should hit the music. Where's the music at? We got to hit the music. As the music plays, tell me real quick. That's the wrong music. 
Give me your one person you're sure is coming up in September. Um, I would say I'll give one on offense, one on defense. I think Jared Shreel is coming up, and I think that uh, Quinn Priester is coming back.